I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show, returning to the airwaves this week in spite of upsettingly ferocious popular demand. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'll be your host for all of tonight's super fun entertainment. And with me in the studio this week is an old mate of mine by the name of Tony Kerr. From way back. That's good to be back as well. Do you remember me, Tony? Yeah, vaguely. Do you remember me? Vaguely. I'm, uh, I'm the guy you do the podcast with. I'm also the bloke that you were in America with for a couple of weeks. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah. Done my best in the, in the few days we've been back to kind of purge that from my memory banks. Uh, but there's vague recollections of kind of just anger and frustration, <laughs> disagreement. But, you know. Disappointment. Good to be back in the studio, really. Good to be, you know, free from the burden of having to just kind of socialise with you. And now I can just do the serious business of podcasting. The grave business <laughs> of uh, cricket podcasting. Well, we've been on a little road trip, haven't we, in America? Me and you and uh, three other lads. <laughs> Where did we go? <laughs> Where did we go? Where did we Can't go? I remember. America, wasn't it? Yeah, well, North America, North New, America. New York. New York, DC. DC Chicago. We could do this in unison. Nashville. The Outer Banks in North Carolina. Went to yeah. the beach there. That was good, wasn't it? Champaign, Illinois. Uh, we got back on Sunday, didn't we? How's the, how's the jet lag this week, Tone? How are you, how are you coping? Well, it's not too bad, actually. Uh, yeah, you'd think a good bit of jet lag thrown into the usual mix of tiredness might push me over the edge, and you. Yeah. I'll take you with me. But uh, no, I'm actually feel all right. I've been struggling a bit this week, to be honest. I, uh, I went to bed at 9.15 last night because I literally couldn't keep my eyes open any longer. Uh, and I thought that would be great. I'd sleep all night. Uh, but then I woke up at midnight and was awake for a few hours. So it just kind of ruined everything because I was tired today, but didn't get an evening <laughs> last night either. So, yeah. Sucks to be you. It sure does. <laughs> By the way, if you've never listened to the show before and you've come here looking for cricket discussion, then frankly, you're in the, the wrong place because that ain't happening. We're just going to be talking about jet lag for the next 40 yeah. minutes, I would imagine. No, we, we'll do a little bit of cricket. We'll we'll probably talk about cricket. I'm just mucking around saying that's the sort of... It's a sort of light-hearted atmosphere that we like to create it's on the show. It's a cavalier attitude to cricket that we, <laughs> exactly. we take. Yeah, that's very much what we're about. But no, we will be talking about cricket in a minute because there's been all sorts happening in the break that we've taken. Uh, England have announced their Ashes squad. Zimbabwe won a test match. Shane Warne and Liz Hurley have split up. Is this, so we, is this a reverse order of what, uh, how we'll discuss things? Well, it's certainly a reverse order of the most important yeah. things that have happened. Shane and Liz. What a Shane. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> That's bad, mate. It's, well, you know, my mind's not quite... Blame, it on, the, speed yet. blame it on the jet lag. Yeah. That's a shame. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real shame, that. <laughs> to be honest, I'm just happy to be back here in one piece because uh, you actually came reasonably close to getting us all murdered in New York. I don't know if you remember this. Did I? Yeah, you managed to... Uh, you, I mean, you went out. You, you were out <laughs> later than the rest of us. It was on our, like, second night in New York City. We had an apartment that we'd uh, rented from Airbnb, an apartment like in midtown Manhattan, incredibly busy 
part of, you know, arguably the world's busiest city. And you went out, came back later than anyone else. I got up about 8am, went out to get a, <laughs> a cup of tea from over the road and discovered the keys to the apartment in the door. And I was like, Tony, what's this about? And you're like, huh? Nah, it's a, I don't know. I can only assume that what happened is that, you know, that, that people were walking past they saw the keys in the door and they thought, no, no one would be that. <laughs> no one would be that idiotic. The trap. So there must be some kind of trap. Yeah. There was no trap. Yeah, I feel like I, I feel like I took a bit of undeserved flack for that. You know, it could have been any of us. But it, crucially, it wasn't. It was, it was you that left the keys in the door. Yeah. Well, we, it was fine, wasn't it? Well, we did survive. It came yeah. to no harm. No one tried to break in. Well, they wouldn't well, they, have had they to break would, in. They wouldn't yeah. have had to break in. in. They could just open the door. Yeah. Ah, we had a laugh about it. The other thing that happened in New York is that uh, I got scammed out of some money. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, walking down the street. These two guys stopped me and they uh, tried to offer me some CDs. And I was like, oh, no, no, I'm not interested. And they were like, no, no, it's free. It's free. So I, I took both CDs and uh, I was like, oh, oh, cheers, dude. And the guy was like, oh, where are you from? I was like, oh, Britain. And he went, oh, Westwood, <laughs> which made me laugh. And then we got to chatting about Westwood largely. And then I was, uh, you know, making to head off. And he went, yeah, so anyway, it's just a donation. It's just a donation. And I was like, oh, God. So I got a couple of dollars out of my pocket and tried to hand that over. And he was like, we usually say five. We usually say five. So I got five out and gave him that. And he's like, you've had two CDs, though, haven't you? So oh, no. Ended up, yeah, giving him $10. It could have been worse, I suppose. $10 isn't, isn't that much money. But. Well, I paid... Uh... It's like twenty-five dollars to a musician in Nashville for a CD and a koozie, uh, as well. <laughs> What's a koozie? Uh, it's just a beer cooler thing, right. you know, uh, shaped like a big white boot. This particular koozie. But the thing is, we were in a, a bar uh, late at night. There was there was a band. Everyone else had gone. Uh, I mean, it was just old people at that point. Yeah. They'd all gone, and it was just left with me, uh, another of our party, a guy from Anonymous, the internet kind of like. <laughs> I don't know what you call them, really. The group of online terrorists. Hackers, yeah. yeah. Uh, and his fiance, so sorry, his wife, they just got married and they're on their honeymoon and they were both nuts. Uh, got, but yeah, basically, he's kind of pressured, bullied into buying CD. Well, the CD that I've got is a hip hop album called A Necessary Assassination. It's just a donation, though. It's just a donation. <laughs> it's just a donation, wasn't it? You pleased to be back in Britain? Had you had enough of America? Or uh, would you want to still be there? I'd like to still be there. I think I'm going to. Uh, I think I'm going to emigrate. <laughs> what now? Maybe not right now, but certainly in the next. By the time we next record the podcast, so within the next week, hopefully. Right. Okay. Uh, so we'll have to do it over Skype, maybe. Well, in a way, it's slightly nice to be back. It's quite. It is weird, like coming back to Britain. There's a kind of like reverse culture shock almost. One thing I really like is when you get on the plane. You get like when we got on the plane in Chicago to come back, and it's Virgin Atlantic, you know, British airline. I hand the guy my ticket and he's like, have a good flight, Mr. Bayfield. Like, <laughs> yeah. The most British guy. And I just feel like, oh, God save the Queen. But then that doesn't last because you get off in Heathrow. You go to, <laughs> you go you through go to uh, immigration. Passport control, yeah. yeah. And they're just like, <sighs> yeah, passport, there yeah. you go. But it was quite funny because there was one time in um, Washington, D.C. This was about three days into our trip at this point. We were walking, th me and you were walking through the hotel lobby towards the lift. And you said to me, Oh, it's, have you noticed we've not really run into any British people? Like, I've not heard any British voices since we got to America. And then, like, literally, then we just walked straight into the lift and there was a couple in there. And she was like, so uh, so what floor is it? I was like, I don't <laughs> yeah. know, seven? She's like, oh, I'll press the button. I was immediately just annoyed. <laughs> just didn't want to hear it. 
Did not want to hear it. What was your favourite place that we went? Well, this is like a travel programme, though. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. I've got Michael Palin next door. <laughs> right, okay, just ready to come in. Uh, God, I don't know, mate. Chicago was pretty cool, wasn't it? Good, cool city. I think that's my favourite American city. Wow. Gone right out and said it. I'm surprised you didn't answer my question, what's your favourite place with the brew-through? Yeah, the, I mean, the brew-through, pretty amazing. Now, what is the, now, what is a brew-through, Tone? Well, I'd, I'd not come across... I don't know if they're widespread in America. I've been, like, fairly all around the States. If and I've not seen one before. Yeah. Uh, well, certainly the, the brand well, brew through. But if there was some kind of information superhighway <laughs> that we on. can consult. Uh, well, certainly the brew through isn't the national brand, I don't think. But maybe they do have a similar concept. Well, I'm going to bring the concept again to you, I think. Now, what is the concept? The concept uh, is a drive through liquor store. Uh, controversial, probably. Yeah, it just sounds like a terrible idea, doesn't it, when you, yeah. when you explain what it is. But yeah, we, we were down on the, the outer banks, weren't we, in North Carolina, uh, and this brew-through chain, there's, there's kind of one every half mile or so, or one every couple of miles. Uh, brilliant. Yeah, you just pull in, wind your window down, bark orders at someone, and they fill your car with, <laughs> fill your car with beer. Bark orders at the slightly terrified girl who was working there. Yeah. And then, uh, and then drive off, speed off into the distance. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen you more excited than when we went to the brew-through and you were behind the wheel at this point. <laughs> and we had, well, there was a people carrier. There were five of us in this huge car and you pulled in. And, yeah, there's just one girl working there. It was probably about, what, 22, 23? <laughs> like, everyone wound their windows down. I think she was a bit scared by how many people were in this car. Yeah. And then you managed to <laughs> say to her, like... you. I think you wanted like a uh, a picture of of the brew through to get you know to have some kind of memory of the experience. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, what it sounded like was was you saying to this girl, "Can I take a picture of you?" Yeah, I mean that's been slightly exaggerated, is <laughs> not it? Because uh, well, you said, what, I, no, what, like, what, I, what, "What I meant, well, I didn't say, well, I didn't can't exactly remember what my words were, but it was kind of just like, oh, you know, can you just model the beers, <laughs> please?" I think you said, "Can I take a picture?" And she went, "Of me." And you were like, yeah. She loved it. She loved it. Can I take a picture of you? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, we we saw a bit of sport, didn't we? Some sports. We went to FedEx Field in, well, it's in Maryland, isn't it? But uh, to watch Redskins versus Eagles, NFL, if if you don't know, which was unbelievable. That's what a sport. You didn't really enjoy it so much. Well, I enjoyed the experience. I'm not a fan of the sport. I'm no more a fan of it now than I was before. Yeah, just just, get on with it. Brilliant, though. I mean, it it was quite quick. It probably sounds ridiculous for someone who's so obsessed with cricket that they do a podcast about it, but it's the slowest game. Just get on with it. There's 10 seconds of action and then a break of about three minutes. And there are are literally times where I said to friends of ours who know more about it, uh, like, what's this break for? And they're like, oh, it's just a commercial. Like, you can't organise a sport around commercial (laughs) breaks, surely. I I thought it was brilliant. I'm completely converted i was enthusiastic about it before but now i'm I'm kind of fully submerged i think in american football uh and then we went to wrigley field didn't we watch some baseball yeah that was good that's pretty fun well although again great experience i'm not convinced about the sport <laughs> no, no, i'm slightly less convinced about baseball <laughs> it was funny though because uh we were all really excited about this it. It like our was it our last our last full day there and we'd been talking about going for a long time. You'd said for a, the whole trip that you were going to book some tickets. And you, every day you said that you were going to do Tell it. Let us down, the, the next time you had internet and you never did. Eventually we bought tickets on the door. So uh, like we were all really excited. 
like came to the stadium, <laughs> great atmosphere. It was just about to start. We all sat down. And then there were like five consecutive pitches that the batter didn't even swing at. And I just looked around and saw everyone's faces <laughs> visibly falling as they realised that it's not the most thrilling sport in the world. Yeah, I mean, feasibly, you know, it is very comparable to cricket, isn't it? Obviously, yeah, for, for yeah. many reasons. Like you could, you know, you could t- pitch up a test match and not see a run scored or even a ball hit in anger for minutes. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you could have the, the opening three overs of a test match. The, the opening 10 overs of a test match, the batsmen are essentially trying not to hit the ball, like doing everything they can to not have to play at the ball. So I can understand, yeah, if you're an American, you'd go to, you know, the first morning of a test match and be like, this is crazy how little is happening. But then I think my point is just that I find it quite ironic that, you know, a lot of them, you know, the American attitude to cricket is very much like, oh, nothing happens. Nothing happens in baseball yeah. and at all. There's less scope for things happening in baseball, I think, as well. Like, at least with the start of a test match, if you knew nothing about cricket, you'd probably think it was quite boring. But the fact that you know, you know, that the first few overs are when the bowlers have one of their best opportunities to get a wicket. You, you know, the, the you know something could happen every ball. Whereas in baseball, it's just yeah, if they don't fancy it, they'll just the the backstop will just catch it. But also, there's there's one thing that could happen in baseball. There's two things. They could either be out, or they could swing and hit it. I mean, I guess you could say the same <laughs> thing about cricket, but it, but in cricket, there's lots of different ways that they could hit it. There's lots of different types of stroke, aren't there? And in baseball, it's literally just swing and hit. Yeah, but it was fun, and you know, oh, it, was a, it was a really good experience. It was. I really uh, it. We, we sat in the bleachers, which essentially, for, for for my purposes, was just basically like a kind of drinks party. I didn't really watch any of the baseball. I think I watched about ten minutes of it, and then just went and stood at the back. It was great. Just milled around, chatting to people. Didn't really pay any attention to what was going on. Uh, yeah, it was a really good day. Then after the game, you. Um... You, you led us to a bar just by Wrigley Field. What's it called? Sluggers? Or yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's like surrounded by bars. So this particular bar had uh, batting cages. Yeah, I was slightly underwhelmed. It wasn't, you know, it was kind of more of like a, uh, what's the, you know, it was an amusement as opposed to a serious, you know, I wanted to go to a serious kind of batting cage. Well, you say this now, you were tremendously excited. We were all watching <laughs> you. There was a, a line had formed of people waiting to come in after you. <laughs> the first two went by and you missed. And I, the, I think there's something... The, wait. Someone's misremembered. Wait, the first two went by and you missed, and this American guy who was next in line went, "Okay, this guy's never played baseball before." And I told you that afterwards, and you were like, "Unbelievable!" <laughs> it's like, "Well, you haven't ever played baseball before." Later on, you like skipped down the wicket and tried to like clip it over mid wicket. Well, part of the issue that I had with this this bloody batting cage was that you know the balls one weren't coming very quickly, you know, and I, I kind of live off pace, as you well know, uh, in the middle. And also, they weren't like they're kind of just like drooping down in front of me. So one, uh, literally, one of them bounced before me, and I had to just kind of Peterson-esque, <laughs> kind of you know, flamingo it through the, through, so the helicopter the shot. Yeah, uh, you know. So obviously, I was trying to put on a bit of a display. It didn't really work. Yeah. But anyway, it's good fun. I'd like to. I'd like to try. I might take up softball here. I don't think we play any baseball, do we here? But no, there is a softball leagues. league. Yeah. You say you're going to take up softball here. I can 100% guarantee that that will not happen. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're right. (laughs) Ashes. This is the part of the show where we talk about the ashes. You might think that the ashes are over, uh, but they're going to start again pretty soon. England have announced their squad for the Ashes Tour, and it's really not that long until things kick off again. The first test of that series is on November the 21st, but the tour does start quite a way before that, uh, with the first warm-up game getting going on Halloween. 
so there's pretty much a month until they uh, they head to Australia. Uh, this is the squad that England have picked. Alistair Cook has been named as captain. We've got Matt Pryor as the wicketkeeper, then Jimmy Anderson, Johnny Bairstow, Gary Balance from Yorkshire, Ian Bell, Stuart Broad, Michael Carberry is recalled, Steve Finn, Monty Panazar, Kevin Peterson, Boyd Rankin ends a first call-up, Joe Root, Ben Stokes also a first call-up, Graham Swan, Chris Tremlett and Jonathan Trott. The word that jumps out of you from that squad tone is tall. Uh, England have selected four fast bowlers who are basically trees. Broad, Tremlett, Rankin and Finn are all six foot five or above. Tremlett, Rankin and Finn are all six foot seven or above. There's going to be a bit of a scrap for the extra legroom seats at the check-in, isn't there? Yeah, I would not fancy having to fly to Australia at six foot eight. I'd just sail, I think, (laughs) get a boat or get a train. You're right there, Tony. Yeah, <laughs> we are doing a podcast. I'm just trying to find something. You're just on your iPad. Hang on, I'm just trying to find something. Where's that football manager? Or yeah, presumably that's not just a coincidence that England have selected a squad with five fast bowlers and, and four of them are huge. Uh, you'd imagine that this is some kind of deliberate yeah, I mean, strategy. They obviously had other options. Although saying that, arguably, you know, at least two of them are two of the best bowlers in England. Feasibly, all of them are amongst the best bowlers in England still. So, yeah. Uh, no, I agree. It, it, it does seem a deliberate ploy. but Well, yeah, I think you know England feel that the pitches in Australia are, are going to be bouncy. Uh, they're going to suit that type of bowler coming in and hitting the deck from a, a height. They saw what Chris Tremlett did in Australia three years ago, and they're hoping to re- replicate that with Chris Tremlett and, <laughs> and also three other very tall bowlers. I think they've decided that that's the way they want to go. Do you think that that's sensible? Are they playing to their strengths there? Or you know, are they maybe putting all their eggs in one enormous basket? Huge basket. Uh, I mean, if Tim Bresnan doesn't make it, there's only, there is only going to be one fast bowler who's you know not an oak tree. Could possibly leave them somewhat one-dimensional. If it, if it doesn't pay off, they'll have nowhere to go. Yeah, they can bring someone in, though, can't they? Possibly. I think, you know, are, I think the assumption is that Bresnan will play some part. Yeah, if, if I was the Aussie batting lineup, I'd probably be quite nervous at this point. One, because I'm clearly not test quality, <laughs> and I hate fast by facing fast bowlers, particularly tall ones. But yeah, Australia did really well, and probably better than. Well, I, we, I could talk about this for quite a long time, but the the kind of consensus was after this summer that Australia could, can take some pride from what they did. But the, the huge pressure on them. I think they I think they they should be they should be terrified. Three Ashes series in a row. Yeah, consecutive wins down under would just bury Australian cricket, wouldn't it? For for decades, maybe. And given yeah, given what Chris Tremblay did last time, and yeah, there is Anderson Swan as well. I think yeah, I think it's quite an exciting prospect. Do you think that the the tall fast bowlers are going to have the impact that that England imagine? I mean, as you as you say, like in fairness, Broad and Finn are hardly surprising picks, are they? And Tremblay has been earmarked for quite some time. He's been in and around the Test squad all summer because they clearly wanted to take him on this tour because of what he did last time. So he's not a surprising selection either. I guess it's Boyd Rankin, isn't it, who's the the bolter, as our Australian friends would say. I mean, he's been essentially preferred to Graham Onions. Like you say, the the kind of locks, Finn and Broad, they're always going to be there if they're a fit. So it's just the decision to take Rankin as another Extremely tall bowler. Yeah, ahead so of onions. to take Rankin and Tremlett and leave Onions at home. They've picked Rankin on the strength of his performances in the one-day series against um, Australia, which England lost 2-1. Uh, 
ranking took five wickets an average of 21 in the three completed matches and did give quite a few of the Aussie batsmen the hurry up including Michael Clark. essentially England's selectors have, have looked at that one day series seen him you know making life uncomfortable for the Australian batsmen and thought we need this guy what do you think about that type of selection is is that you know is that an overreaction to a, a handful of quite eye-catching performances in a different format of cricket or would it be foolish to ignore that kind of evidence? You know, if the Australian captain is finding life difficult against a bowler, would it be stupid not to take him? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, the, the fact that they're taking a squad, you know, they, they do have options. Been presumably, presumably one or other of Tremlett and Rankin isn't, isn't going to play in the first test. But g- given that the Aussie batting lineup, you know, we, we've, we've, it's been the case for quite a long time that Clark pretty much is the Aussie batting lineup at the moment. Uh, and when he played well this summer, you know, Australia looked more threatening. They looked more likely, or they got themselves into a position where they could actually win test matches. So on that basis, if you could throw in a bowler who's going to make him feel uncomfortable, then why not? Yeah, I can certainly see where they're, they're coming from there. And, you know, maybe they felt that they just couldn't leave Rankin out because of, of that. Um, and that's fair enough, I guess. But I think if they were going to select Rankin, they should have selected him at the expense of Tremlett, probably. Now, I'm very fond of Chris Tremlett and I desperately want him to come back and be as good as he was a couple of years ago because he was arguably England's best bowler a couple of years ago. But at this point, I think you'd have to say it's quite likely that the idea of that happening is is no more than wishful thinking. He's really not been at his best in county cricket since the injuries that he suffered. I don't think you can have him and Rankin because they're basically the same type of bowler. So either pick Tremlett or pick Rankin to do the Tremlett job, but definitely don't leave out Graham Onions. I mean, for me, Onions shouldn't just be in this squad. I think he should be in the team. If Breslin's not going to be fit, I think Onions is the next best option that England have. His record in domestic cricket this season for Durham is absolutely outstanding. He's been the best bowler in the country. The selectors will say that domestic form isn't everything, but then apparently domestic form is the reason why they've picked Gary Balance in this squad. So I don't really know what to make of that. I can't believe that they've left Onions out. He was apparently like a whisker away from, from playing that Durham test match. There's only been one test since then, and he's now not even in the, the top six fast bowlers in the country, apparently. Yeah, it is a strange one. Like like, like you say, it, for the selectors, it seems like county cricket is a kind of just like pick and choose when it's applicable. Uh, you know, to a certain extent, I think that is the case. You know, there are players who, clearly there are some really famous examples of players who have excelled in county cricket but haven't done it internationally but onions has done it internationally he's put in some fantastic he's, he's got a great record for England. he's made an impact in an ashes series before yeah, yeah in 2009 and given that yeah you know, obviously he had his issue he had his injury issues and he's got he's got away played all summer taking a bag of wickets well, and last summer as yeah. well i think he's in county cricket he seems to be an even better bowler than he was before his injury so it's hard to say why they haven't they haven't picked him aside from the the kind of tactical big and tall approach well yeah and I, I think that is the reason and and in that sense i think onions is very unlucky because i fear that this this big and tall man approach is perhaps a little bit misguided or we should open a big and tall shop in brisbane <laughs> well, get yeah. some good business if you're in brisbane now's a good time to open a big and tall shop onions may well find himself on a plane to australia at some point as you say england might decide to call him up to give themselves another option or it could be because of an injury. I mean, I think it's pretty unlikely that England are going to go through all five tests without at least one of their fast bowling pack breaking down injured. From what I'm hearing <laughs> from <laughs> on the grapevine, it appears that Rankin is the man that they, they want to play. If Breslin doesn't make the first test, which I don't think he will, 
that they're going to have Anderson Broad and it's going to be Rankin ahead of Finn or Tremlett. How do you feel about the, the concept of Boyd Rankin playing for England? Obviously, he's come from Ireland. He's had you know, a reasonably lengthy career for Ireland, something like 40 ODIs. He's been in the Irish team for about six or seven years. He's certainly not the first player to have done that. There's another very obvious example, which is Owen Morgan. Um, and we talk an awful lot, don't we, about how nationality is a fluid thing. And we always say it's not as simple as just saying someone's either English or they're not kind of thing. But what do you make about, about this? I don't know. To me, I, I don't, I'm not sure why, but it, I find myself having slightly more difficulty uh, with ranking playing than I do with Morgan. And I'm not entirely sure why that is. He's, I mean, he's from Northern Ireland, whereas Morgan's from the Republic of Ireland. So you know, in the sense that England is a sort of quasi-British team he's you know got more of a claim to play but maybe it's just because he played for Ireland for such a long time and is now 29 I don't know it just seems it doesn't feel right to me to see him in an England shirt but is that just something yeah, I'll get used to Trent Johnson next you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know I see where you're coming from yeah he, he's very he's very established Irish player isn't he and, and Ireland have certainly in the last few years put in some really good performances at times including against England yeah so it's hard to kind of separate that I, I I've got less of a problem. I think it's too late now, isn't it, to, to be kind of worrying about these kind of issues. <laughs> well, it's only too late to do anything about it, I think. Uh, I mean, look at Gary Balance, Zimbabwean-born. I mean, the England team is, is, a, is a washout now, isn't it? In terms of, like, kind of <laughs> There's three English. uncapped players in the squad and none of them are born in England. Ben Stokes is born in New Zealand. I would always argue against people who are, you know, very passionate about saying, oh, the England team should just be English-born players. I mean, I think it's a bit of a nonsense because, as we talk about a lot, what does nationality even mean? Uh, and so saying that balance is Zimbabwean-born, I'm not sure that's necessarily that important. No, not at all. No, but, and, and that's not what I'm saying, but I don't know, it, it just seems something strange to me. I, I can't necessarily identify a logic behind this, but I, my gut is just a bit more kind of reluctant to see Rankin playing for England than most other players. I mean, I didn't have a problem when Ed Joyce did and he's gone back to play for Ireland. I didn't have a problem with that. For some reason, I just find myself thinking, oh, I don't know about this. I guess it's just because I've watched a lot of Ireland cricket games where Rankin's been playing for the last, like, seven, eight years. Yeah. I wonder if I'm the only England fan who thinks that or whether you know other people might like to write in and let us know what they think. Yeah, I mean, there are a few comes up every time you know the, the, the constant joke about the South Africans in the England dressing room it's, it's a difficult one as to whether people whether England cricket fans are more bothered about this kind of thing than, than other sports fans in the UK I don't know it's tricky isn't it because you know when you look at something like, like, like athletics where there are some really high profile sportsmen and kind of a lot of the Olympic sports some really high profile sportsmen who weren't born in the UK but have gone on to do unbelievable things uh, like Mo Farah. Like Mo Farah, like Chris Froome. But then there, are, there is quite a lot of resistance. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Resentment to people who just... They're, they're, I, can't, I can't think of the names, but, you know, some of the, some of the people who just... There's a kind of flag of convenience have just taken up a British passport to compete at the top level still. And, you know, that, that's probably closer to what... Boyd Rankin is doing effectively so you know I don't I don't know it is it's a tricky one it is a tricky one and it, I can't give you a uh, reason argument so why, why I've got no problem with Owen Morgan playing for England but I do have a problem with Boyd Rankin it I mean it it doesn't make any sense and I'm sure I'll get accustomed to seeing Rankin playing and certainly if he takes a lot of wickets against <laughs> Australia I'll be absolutely fine with it but for some reason my my instinct instinctive reaction is just to be a little bit less uh, keen on the idea but, you know, it's going to happen. It's already happened. So I guess I'll have to get over yeah, it. Yeah, you know, and the flip side is that I'm quite looking forward to seeing Boyd Rankin play a test match. What about the rest of the squad? Any any other glaring omissions besides Graham Onions? Or do you think this looks like a pretty, uh, a pretty balanced squad? A, a pretty Gary balanced squad? That's almost as bad as your what a shame. Yeah, joke, I, I mean, it? it's going to take us a few weeks to get back into it. <laughs> Hashtag jet lag. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, you, you probably feel a little bit for Compton, but it's the end of his career, isn't it? Now, <laughs> yeah. as a Test player, as an international cricketer, it's quite bizarre. In it's a way. absurd, isn't it? For someone to have scored consecutive Test hundreds and then three Test matches later to just be discarded completely is really bizarre. It is strange that they've gone back to Michael Carberry. And you know, equally, you know, his loss is Carberry's gain, and Carberry has flirted with the team for the last few years so great for him you know I think quite excited to see in a way to see what he's got if he yeah gets and I, I thought he was quite unlucky not to have played more than the one test and he, he played against Bangladesh because you know he's he's scored a lot of runs in counter cricket for a long time you know I possibly would have taken both of them in the squad because I don't think Joe Root should be opening I think he should be at number six uh, so Johnny Bairstow would be my spare number six I do feel really bad for Nick Compton though because you know he got dropped went away and scored loads of runs in counter cricket and that as I say after being very unfortunate to be dropped in the first place I would still have him in the England team let alone the squad on one level I guess there's there's quite a bold feeling about this squad you know there are three uncapped players um, a few new faces you know with Ben Stokes in there as a sort of this young all-rounder people talking about him as being the new Flintoff and that's quite an ambitious selection isn't it I don't know though I, I have a feeling it might be somewhat superficial this boldness I I worry a bit that England might have taken some of the uh, criticism that they received for their conservative approach to heart a little bit uh, and attempted to be maybe too bold. They've made a couple of left field picks in, you know, going for someone like Gary Balance, going for someone like Boyd Rankin, rather than sticking with tried and tested guys like Onions, like Compton, who I feel would be much better place to have an impact in this series. Yeah, I mean, it's a slightly different thing, isn't it, with cricket squads? You know, the likelihood is that certainly to begin with, the, the new players aren't going to get a look in. So quite how much impact. I mean, yeah, I guess there's two approaches. Like you say, you can take the kind of tried and tested route where, you know, if there is an injury or if they if there are a couple of couple of matches don't go England's way, then they can bring in people that they've seen before and that they know about. But equally, you know, if they've got a lot of confidence in the side, then and there's no reason not to, given, that, given England's recent record against Australia. Yeah, why not take a couple of couple of players with a view to I mean I don't like the, the the concept of giving someone experience I don't know how valuable it is unless you're playing but 
Well, even if you are playing, I mean, it was it was a great experience for Simon Carey. Well, wasn't it just it? yeah? But yeah, maybe 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 take players who might have a less predictable impact. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right in the sense that there's a lot of talk about Ben Stokes going, but the chances of him playing in any of these test matches are pretty slim unless there are quite a few injuries. So ultimately, that's not necessarily a hugely um, interesting selection, is it? But I just I do just feel a little bit that England have uh, have picked a squad in a somewhat scattergun way. I mean, you think the last test match that they played, they had Chris Wokes and Simon Kerrigan in the 11. Neither of them are on the plane. You know, they've, they've picked Boyd Rankin out of more or less nowhere. I mean, out of the one-day series, but you know, he's not been anywhere near the test squad before. They've suddenly gone for Gary Balance over James Taylor, who was in the, the test squad you know, a couple of test matches ago. It just feels to me a little bit like they've sat down and gone, right, we need... You know, everyone's saying we're really boring. Everyone's saying we're really conservative. Let's do something interesting. And actually, what they should have done is just pick the best squad. And I, I do feel like they might have left out a couple of the, you know, the best options in Nick Compton and Graham Onions. Yeah, I think no, I think you're right on that. And uh, certainly, the time, you know, the, the the home test matches are the the times where you can you can include uh, someone new in the squad. But a tour, and particularly a tour down under, is slightly bigger investment, isn't it? So, you, yeah, you've thought the likes of Stokes Rankin would have got a look in in the summer if they were if they were being considered seriously and yeah, particularly, particularly when England sense. had won the Ashes as the Oval Test match they think right we're going to get an all-rounder in so they go for Chris Wokes not Ben Stokes Wokes didn't have a great match but he wasn't awful but you know he's now been usurped by Stokes they just need yeah. Ben Folks in the squad <laughs> as well and then we got them all well Folks is in the performance squad isn't he <laughs> uh, so he could be there John Noakes is he going <laughs> Uh, I mean, you can see why Kerrigan wasn't selected. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> I mean, tough, really tough. That's true. Uh, <laughs> the name Kerrigan, the name Simon Kerrigan already is just like prov- provokes laughter <laughs> amongst cricket fans. It's absolutely devastating for the lad. It is sh- I mean, he'll come back. I've no doubt he'll come back. Well, he's, he's with the performance squad as well, so. But yeah, overall, you know, I'm quite enthusiastic. I don't want, I re- I don't want to get my hopes up too high for the Sashes series, though, because I don't want to be disappointed. Again, there's quite a weird feeling now, though, as an England fan, isn't there? Because, like, winning the Ashes this summer was very enjoyable, but it, it was more a feeling of relief. It's that weird thing of being the fan of a team that's good. It must be what it's like to be like a Manchester United fan. You're never happy. You're just relieved that you didn't lose, uh, and that that's kind of what it was like this summer. And again, it'll a defeat would be devastating. A win would be like, whew. yeah. I mean, there's slightly more. I think maybe to a, to a Ashes tour. To Australia, yeah, it will still. I think it will still. A win there will feel more like a win than this did in the summer. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's going to be an exciting few months. Like, great to see that the India series is going to be five tests. That's cool, isn't it? So that's something to get excited about. So there is there is quite a lot to look forward to in cricket. So stick with us. You know? <laughs> like we're not. It's not all doom and gloom. Uh, but yeah, I know what you mean. Like, I'm I, I'm I'm much more comfortable supporting teams that are rubbish. It just that's just how I've been brought up. You know, England cricket, New- Newcastle. Uh, we went to the Cubs game. I was going to say, yeah, Chicago, Chicago won Cubs. Since, was it 104 years or something? I feel an enormous affinity for the Chicago Cubs. Yeah. yeah as, as you say, they've not won anything for a very long time. Are they bottom of the league this year? Yeah, yeah they sucked, I think, this year. They finished bottom of their conference. And we, when we went to see them, it was 5 all going into the ninth inning. And then, I mean, they essentially choked, didn't they? They, yeah. they, they, conceded, did a they conceded four in the ninth inning and lost... Nine five, and yeah, I just thought right, this is the team for me yeah. because 
they're mentally weak, I'm mentally weak. Perfect. No one really cared that they'd lost. No one was really bothered. We played mini golf in uh, North Carolina twice, two times in three days. <laughs> and on both occasions, <laughs> it was the most competitive sporting thing that I've ever been involved in. There was so much riding on it, both in terms of pride, but also there was you know forfeits for, forfeits the, for the people in the, in the bottom two uh, and, and rewards for the winner. And on both occasions, on the first occasion, I was winning going into the penultimate hole. The second occasion, I think I was second going into the penultimate hole. And on both times, on the exact same <laughs> hole, I choked. I choked massively. I choked hard. Par was, what, two or three for the hole? Yeah. Six was the maximum you could get. On the first occasion, I was you know, right by the hole after one shot, ended up posting four. On the second occasion, I was right by the hole after one shot, ended up posting six. <laughs> There's nothing. Uh, mini golf is one of the ultimate tests, I think, of, of kind of sporting nerve, because there's no, there's there's so much can go wrong very easily. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's a nightmare. So yeah, when we because we played it, we played a little round, and you know we don't have these kind of novelty themed mini golf parks in Guernsey at all. So it's it's quite fun. But yeah, there was quite a lot of riding on it. But by the end, the sweat was just dripping off me. Got into the last hole. It's a kind of a long one, and it's one of those ones where the ball drops down into a tube. Then, in, you know, the, the yeah, the ball gets returned yeah, once so it's in, yeah. the, in the hole. Yeah. So it's kind of like it's the final thing. It's a really long. That hole is it's really long, and it's it's kind of like narrow because there's yeah. obstacles on either side. Uh, and going into it, I was in a lot of trouble. My, I played the first shot, and the ball went out of bounds. Kind of returned towards me down the hill. Uh, and then I just closed my eyes and hit straight through the ball and sunk it. And yelled, Death Star Trench! <laughs> As it was going in. I don't know why that came to me. I just thought, yeah. And that was, I, honestly, the, the relief, the overwhelming emotion of relief. And It's so uh, annoying. It was actually so annoying. Because, yeah, on that second to last hole, it was the second time we did it. Like, we got to that hole and I thought, this is where I choked last time. <laughs> <laughs> just in my head. Don't choke. Don't choke, just don't choke. And then when I missed that second shot, I just heard everyone. Go, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh god, so good though, so much fun, so much fun." The side notes now, on which we discuss some of the more offbeat stories of the cricketing week. Uh, I've got a couple of side notes for you here, Tane. The first one comes from Mail Online. This is going to be good. <laughs> Too raw and personal to share right now. Elizabeth Hurley confirms split from Shane Warne as she steps out without engagement ring. Elizabeth Hurley confirmed her relationship with Shane Warne is over with a message on Twitter on Wednesday morning. The 48-year-old wrote, quote, Apologies to loyal followers for Twitter silence on recent events. Too raw and personal to share right now. Her tweet came just a day after she cut a downcast figure as she was photographed in London wearing an all-black outfit with her large diamond and sapphire sparkler noticeably absent from her left hand. Elizabeth's outing came as her reported split from cricketer Shane was blamed on his continued close relationship with his ex-wife Simone. According to The Sun, mother of one Elizabeth was growing increasingly uncomfortable about Shane's cosy friendship with Simone, with whom he has three children. A source told The Sun, quote, Elizabeth found out he had been over at Simone's house a lot. She seemed to get the idea that something more than friendship was going on. Liz couldn't ever handle Shane and Simone being friends. Simone. Simone? <laughs> it was the noticeable Twitter silence between Elizabeth and Shane which first sparked rumours of a split. The pair, who frequently sent each other public tweets, haven't mentioned each other for several weeks. 
Shane notably didn't mention his fiancée when he celebrated his birthday last Friday, thanking his friends and family for birthday messages, but failing to mention the swimwear designer, who is, who is back home in England. Brilliant. The same day, Elizabeth tweeted how she spent the day fixing an alpaca fence at her Gloucestershire farm. In fact, several days before his big day, he wrote a cryptic message. Something to think about. It's not what happens in your life. It's how you react to what life throws at you in both the good and bad times. Former Austin Powers star Elizabeth last tweeted Shane on September 1st. Happy Father's Day to all Australian dads, especially at Warn888. So much wrong. <laughs> so much wrong with what you just read. <laughs> oh, God. Well, well uh, how, first of all, like, I find it weird that people actually have an emotional investment in public figures, if you like, on Twitter. And also the presumption from Hurley that people would care. Her Twitter followers would care. And they're not just following her. I don't know, just for the laughs. Yeah. Uh, well, because she was like, sorry for the silence. Yeah. Well, some people do care. People Too who, much. People who read the mail online. There's a follow-up article that apparently it's the reason for the split is not so much his close friendship with Simone, Simone it's uh, the fact that he's refusing to set a date for the wedding. Right. You know, they got engaged over two years ago. But, th- but this follow-up article on the mail is actually ridiculous because basically they've been photographed, they're out together with all their kids, uh, and there's about three photos... And the male have written, I guess, a 1,500-word article by just looking at these photos and trying to guess what they might right. be thinking. So uh, while Elizabeth was very tactile with other members of the group, she kept her distance from the former cricketer and her engagement ring was noticeably still absent from her finger. Walking towards their restaurant of choice, the group looked in high spirits despite the speculation surrounding the state of their relationship. Liz looked glam in her outfit but remained stony-faced throughout... <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't think of a worse punishment than being forced to write that kind of stuff. <laughs> Their appearance comes as Shane's ex-wife, Simone, was seen out and about in her beachside suburb in Australia, smiling, as one observer said, <laughs> from ear to ear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I, like, I wish we should get someone to write a World Creature story like that. <laughs> like, yeah. There is... Okay, this is a good quote. There are so many ifs and whys involving the couple that the truth of their separation seems to be a combination of all the whispers about them, said a society watcher in Melbourne. What's that? <laughs> what does that mean? Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Anyway, what else have you got? Uh, well, I've also got an article from a website called Crick Info. You may have seen this story, Tony. It actually appeared on the American TV news. Guy Whittle's close encounter of the reptilian kind. Guy Whittle, the former Zimbabwe all-rounder, put up an uninvited guest for a night earlier this week. The house guest followed the rules of etiquette, remaining quiet, not putting the family out, not even snapping at the feet dangling invitingly in front of its nose. A well-behaved 8-foot, 165-kilo Nile crocodile which spent the night inches away from Whittle at the Humani Ranch, the Whittle's game reserve in southeast Zimbabwe. The crocodile had made its way into Whittle's house from a nearby river and presumably spent the night under his bed. It was only discovered by a housemaid in the morning who understandably screamed bloody murder as Whittle breakfasted in the kitchen. The really disconcerting thing about the whole episode is the fact that I was sitting on the edge of the bed that morning, barefoot and just centimetres away from the croc, Whittle later said. It came from the Turguay River. Which is, a, which is a couple of kilometres from the house. They often wander about in the bush, especially when it's cold and raining. I think he liked it under the bed because it was warm. Whittle called in his co-workers at the reserve and the croc, after a bit of wrestling, was returned unharmed to the wild. Amazing. Eight foot. Decent size. 
Yeah, there's a picture of it. It's fairly big. I mean, that's probably the most terrifying thing that I can imagine, I think. Well, if you don't know about it, though, then... Yeah, yeah but then but then every night for the rest of his <laughs> yeah, life... Yeah, I'd be he's, checking. He's going to think there's a crocodile under there. I mean, you know when you're a kid and you think there's a monster under the bed? There quite literally was a monster <laughs> under Guy Whittle's well, bed. This is the time of year, isn't it, in, in you know this part of the world where all the spiders come indoors. Uh, and I've already heard some ridiculous tales of people being terrified of spiders late at night. Uh, but yeah, how would how would those people react with a croc just like <laughs> scuttled across the floor? Because that's the thing: we live in a country where there's nothing that's actually dangerous. I, mean, I don't know if we've mentioned that we've been in America recently, but like there's animals there that will actually eat you, like bears. And we we stayed in a cabin in the woods, didn't we? Where the, you know there are bears around, that's actual everywhere. bears. Whereas yeah, the worst we have to deal with is like fairly small spiders and weaver fish. And weaver fish, yeah, that's true. Uh, do you want one more side note? Yeah, if we must, yeah. Uh, this is actually from a little while ago, but it, it, it's <laughs> it's from Crick Info as well. Bracken looks to trade dressing room for political office. Having spent eight years of his life swinging a cricket ball for the Australian cricket team, Nathan Bracken has now set his sights on a different pitch, politics. I mean, the, the, <laughs> this, <laughs> cricket particles are fantastic. <laughs> they're, all the, they're all the same. They've just, I think they've just got like a box of, you know, template sentences yeah. and they just fill in the blanks any type of cricketer takes up a new pastime or new career change just drop it in Nathan Bracken is hoping to hit the political word for six <laughs> uh, Bracken who is Australia's second highest wicket taker among left arm quicks in ODIs <laughs> right, well. which is quite specific announced on his Twitter account on Sunday that he would be running as an independent in the Central Coast federal elections for the New South Wales seat of Dobell against former Labour MP Craig Thompson. I guess it got to the point where I didn't want to be the person that sits in the cafe saying, oh, jeez, I wish I'd done this, or this should change, Bracken said. While he has Champions Trophy and World Cup medals in his kitty, Bracken remained wary about his chances of registering similar levels of success in the new arena immediately, while identifying youth unemployment and high school dropout rates as among the issues that need addressing. I want to be somebody who gets out there and stands up and says... Let's try and change things. Let's try and move things forward on the Central Coast for the betterment of the people who live here. Bracken, a 10-year resident of Central Coast, said. <laughs> well, as I say, that article is from a little while ago. Uh, but we haven't done the side notes for a long time. That was from uh, the beginning of August. Did um, he get in? The election has happened. Uh, here's a headline from the Australian Daily Telegraph. Dobell MP Craig Thompson concedes defeat as Liberals look set to win. So he's been defeated, the uh, incumbent MP, but sadly it's not Nathan Bracken that's won. It says, uh, in Dobell, incumbent independent MP Craig Thompson polled only about 4% of the vote. The Liberals' Karen McNamara was getting 41% of the vote to Labour's Emma McBride, who was polling about 35%. Independent Nathan Bracken was polling around 7%. Ah, what? Rubbish. He needs to get on the phone to Jasaria, doesn't he? He needs to get some tips. Get Imran get Khan office. as well. Yeah. Wouldn't that be so weird if, like, you, know, you had Imran Khan essentially running Pakistan and you had Nathan Bracken, if he was, like, <laughs> Australian Prime Minister? That'd be mental. That'd be cool. I'd love that. I'd love that if the, world, like, the world's leading economies were all run by former cricketers. Just had, like, uh, I don't know, Alan Mullally was, like, <laughs> British Prime Minister or something. That'd be quite fun. That'd be good. I, I could live with that. I could live in that world. <laughs> <laughs> 
Much like what the big UK energy companies are threatening will happen if the Labour Party win the next general election and implement their promise to freeze price rises, it's time to turn out the lights on this episode of The World Creator Show. Do you like that tone? Bit of satire? Very topical. It's like we've never been away. Very topical. Straight um, from the front pages to the podcast. <laughs> ripped in from the, the headline. Time, yeah. In less time than it takes to read the actual paper. I'm a regular Russell Howard, aren't I? Adam Bayfield's news. <laughs> Not even good news. Well, Adam Bayfield's front page news. <laughs> well, before we go, I know you're anxious to get out of here, but we should probably <laughs> just briefly mention Zimbabwe because they won a test match the other day, uh, beating Pakistan in Harare to take a share of that series. And that is the first test match that they've won against anyone besides Bangladesh since 2001. And it puts them back on the test match ladder, ahead of Bangladesh in ninth place. Uh, Pakistan slipped to sixth below the West Indies. Uh, and that was a pretty disappointing result for them, you would have to say. Say that again. Uh, because, you know, it seemed in recent years like Pakistan were a pretty formidable test outfit, but uh, they got absolutely thrashed in South Africa earlier this year. And then, uh, yeah, have only managed to draw in Zimbabwe. And, you know, it's largely because of their batting, which remains very fragile, entirely reliant on uh, Ms. Burrell Hack. So, yeah, disappointing for them. But it's all about Zimbabwe, though. Superb result and, a, you know, a great boost for cricket in that country. They probably need to... Uh, try and organise some test matches against other teams now. That would be good because they've been back in test cricket for a couple of years, but they've only played Pakistan, uh, West Indies and Bangladesh in that time. The difficult thing, of course, is you know England, Australia are very reluctant to play them for political reasons. Uh, and it doesn't seem like the ICC are that anxious to sort that out. So who knows what will happen? But certainly uh, a good news story for Zimbabwean cricket. I know we've uh, been very Ashes-centric recently on this show, haven't we, Tony? And by recently, I mean for the last, like, four months. Um, That is going to change over the winter. Obviously, we've got another Ashes series coming up, uh, so it's only going to change to a certain extent. But there is also lots of other exciting cricket coming up this winter as well, starting with a test series between Pakistan and South Africa, which gets underway in mid-October. So we're going to do a preview of that on next week's show, which is something to look forward to. While we were Gives in a- me a few days to get cracking on that. <laughs> While we were in America, Tane, I don't know if I mentioned that we were in America, uh, I did my best to promote the podcast. Oh, yeah. We stopped in a gas station in some one-horse town in Tennessee, uh, and I got talking to the guy who worked there. He was from India and had moved to Tennessee five or six years ago. He noticed that I had a British accent, right. and he asked me if I like cricket. Uh, and we got to talking about that. And, I, and he, You're going to say he's got in touch? Well, no, I, I, I wish. I mean, I did, I did then tell him about the podcast. I mean, he was talking to me about his cricket team for quite a long time, and the entire way through, I was just thinking, I was just waiting for him to finish <laughs> so that I could, so I could promote the podcast. So, yeah, great stuff. Uh, there's a <laughs> podcast called The World Cricket Show you might like to check out. So if you are that guy from Tennessee and you've, you've started listening, welcome to the party, man. Get in touch. Let us know what you think. Grab a drink. Introduce yourself to a few people. Just extending the party metaphor. Oh, okay. Lazily. <laughs> Um, anyway, that's about it for this week. If you like the show, if you're new to the show, it's probably worth bearing in mind that uh, we talked an awful lot about our holiday this week. Yeah, if you're new to the show, you might have noticed that there the, haven't been any episodes for a couple of weeks. Give us a couple, you know, don't, <laughs> don't make your decision on this one. Give us a couple of weeks to kind of get up to speed. Yeah. Uh, we've been away, we've been out the loop cricket-wise, and, you know, we just had so much to talk about. Anecdotes about gas stations and that kind of stuff. But if you do like the show, uh, there are a number of ways that you can get more involved in it on the internet. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cricket show. Uh, we've been posting some photos from the trip on the Facebook page. So uh, 
you might like to check those out. I've got a few more in my locker that I'm going to post as well. Drip feed them. I put up one of us at Wrigley Field, and you instantly made it your profile picture. Cropped me out of it. Well, I didn't like to do that, but I was the only way I could do it. I couldn't. It's just like, oh, this is brilliant. Yeah, let's get, let's <laughs> get, rid, of, get rid of Bayfield. Just Cole Bayfield <laughs> from it. So, yeah, I mean, you have to make decisions like that at times. Yeah, and I, I've thought about that about the World Cricket Show in general. I <laughs> uh, just thought, this is good, but let's get rid of Kerr. Uh, but so far, I've resisted that idea. Follow us on Twitter. At Cricket Show is essentially me. At Tony Cover is essentially Tony. T-O-N-Y-C-V-R-R. It's been a bit it's dried up a bit there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, recent times, but I might I might try and get back into it. <laughs> well, you sound you sound very keen. <laughs> uh, so yeah, follow us. I both don't know what to tweet. Twitter. My main issue with Twitter is I don't. It just seems uh, unless you tweet all the time, just seems random. Like it's just random. There's no consistency about what you know. I have a multitude of interests, Adam. I don't know. I can't just tweet about. I end up just tweeting about football. No. You're struggling to uh, formulate a brand identity yeah. on Twitter. I need I need someone to come in and help me. Uh, well, if you, if you want to uh, give some suggestions for Tony's brand identity, either tweet at him or send us an email, worldcricketshow at gmail.com. You can find all of this stuff on our website, which is cricketshow.net. Uh, and if you really want to do something nice for us, you could write a review on iTunes. Uh, we do hugely appreciate all of those. You wouldn't believe how important it is in uh, pushing us up the <laughs> rankings and stuff like that. We're closing rapidly in on 200 episodes now, Tony. What are we going to do for it? I'm asking you that question no. because I, I've got no ideas, <laughs> literally none. So how, when is it? Uh, well, this is one nine six. Four weeks. Yeah. I mean, that's almost that's the Ashes preview, isn't it? Almost. Well, I guess the tour preview. Yeah. Yeah, we've got the, the the tour preview, the Ashes series preview, the first test preview. Yeah, we're doing a lot of previewing. A lot of previews. Uh, good question. We'll come up with something good. We'll come up with something hilarious, no doubt. Uh, but that's it for this week. Stay in school, everybody. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye for now. Ta-ra. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.